Welcome to episode 95 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast, your weekly Milwaukee Brewers podcast. I'm Steve Garshinsky. Joining me today are Ryan Topp, and we have J.P. Breen actually here recording with us live. I think this is like the third time we've all been in the same room, right? For is a it? podcast? Second uh, or third? Yeah, I was going to say, I would guess it, it's got to be three. I think that maybe Steve and I might have done it once without you, but I think the three of us have all done it once together at least yeah last summer we did the one right before we went to the clayton kershaw uh brandon woodruff game yeah absolutely so which was not the clayton kershaw brandon woodruff playoff game no it wasn't it was during the season yeah, yeah it was during the season in which the brewers won yes and we met some people listening to the podcast it was great to see everybody yeah mm-hmm. which i don't know if we're gonna be able to do that game again this summer because i think yeah. everybody's getting really busy yeah everybody's getting pretty busy i'm about to peace out you got so. a big move coming yeah be moving across the country so uh we will we'll see if we can make it work but if not it's good to be in the house before before we get out of here exactly yeah. so yeah it'll be fun um and we shouldn't have any audio cutouts this edit won't be as hard as ryan apparently had with uh the minor league podcast. which was which was funny because he was telling me how hard everything was and how much everything was cutting out for the minor league pod and i was like well i should have just recorded it because everything was great on my end <laughs> So, exactly. Like I didn't have I didn't have any issues whatsoever in terms of. Like, oh, I thought you were just saying everything that you said was great. Therefore, you should have just been recording it as a solo podcast. Oh no, <laughs> no, I definitely did not mean that. <laughs> um, yeah, that really. If yours, if it was all coming through great on your end, yeah, that's too bad because that was six hours worth of editing I wouldn't have needed to do. Well, let me tell you. Sometimes, uh, you know that that work makes the end product a little bit fonder. So I'm sure that's going to be one of Ryan's favorite podcast that he's ever had exactly it'll go on your reel absolutely he's gonna say like you don't even know how much this actually meant to me so hey if uh you want to you can help fans find the podcast by rating and reviewing milwaukee's tailgate on apple podcasts and spotify we want listener questions so follow milwaukee's tailgate on twitter at mke tailgate email questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or follow our facebook page you can also follow the three of us on Twitter, and you'll find that in our Milwaukee's Tailgate Twitter bio. And finally, if you'd like to support the podcast and get that minor league extra with all of the draft uh, wrap-up, is that what mm-hmm. we're calling it? Draft wrap? Yeah. Sure. We had the post-draft analysis. There you go. We, we tried to Mel Kuyper the shit without being Mel Kuyper. And it was about an hour. You went a little over an hour, didn't you? It was hour 15. Yeah. The minor league pods tend to be a little bit longer. So just because we're not as worried about keeping it under. under You don't have anybody to keep you on on task. Yes, there is no stern taskmaster there. We can talk about Liverpool all we want, though we didn't. You don't generally have Steve being like, I don't give a shit anymore. We're cutting it off. We're moving on. So, But if you want that, you can go to our uh, Patreon at patreon.com slash MKE tailgate. Our patrons at the ball and glove and above levels uh, receive the monthly minor league extra podcast. Milwaukee's tailgate is sponsored by Carbon 4 Brewing and their English-style malt bombs and perfectly balanced hop grenades. You know them for the great beers like Dragon Flute, Block Party, and their Fantasy Factory IPA. That's their flagship. Uh, and then some of their current spring and summer seasonals include Tokyo Sana, Fruit Punch, Fantasy Factory IPA. I don't know if that one's still around. I don't know. The raspberry one is... Yeah, uh, that one's coming out. It's coming out later this we week. We need to update our list is what I'm saying. Yeah. So... But some of these, yeah, they have the Fruit Punch Fantasy Factory. If that's not out, go out and get the Raspberry Fantasy Factory because we know that one's coming out soon at least. 
uh, Radicast New England style IPA, and they have the America AF Watermelon Kolsch. That's in cans. Go pick that one up. It's a good summer beer. Also get 20% off of merch in the Carbon 4 web store with the promo code MKE Tailgate. As always, check out Carbon4.com for more information. Carbon 4, beer brilliance. Okay. Well, they had a rough the Brewers had a rough start to the week because they had to play Houston. Luckily, it was only two games. Right? Yeah, I mean, they split it. It's fine. They did. I'm just saying Houston is a tough draw. Houston on the road, especially, yeah. Even Houston with injuries is d- difficult. I was gonna say, like they you look at what their IL is right now, and you're just like, October, man. Yeah, yeah what is it? Spring, Springer's out. Correa's, Correa's out. out. Uh, they're missing somebody else, I think too, Altuve's still out. Altuve's out yeah. also. Yeah. So they're going to have a lot of people coming on back. Lance McCullers is going to be on his way back. Maybe being able to pitch out of the bullpen. You'd imagine they're going to make another move or two in July to go in and, and try to pick up somebody. Uh, Houston is going to be an absolute force at some point. And as a team that just missed the World Series last year and won it the year before, obviously, yeah, you know they're going to continually be a tough team. The Brewers did all right. They split. They actually hit Justin Verlander. They well, they hit three solo homers off of him. Other you than know that, what, they Verlander doesn't out. give up a lot of home runs. So you know what, mm-hmm. I'll take three. They, yeah, Verlander's actually he gives up home runs. It's the thing he does is give up home runs. He doesn't walk people. He doesn't give up a ton of hits. But when he does get hit, he's kind of Josh Hatery in that way from a profile a little bit that he will give up some home runs. I think he gave up like almost 30 last year. Well, it's one of the things that we used to talk about with like uh, Estrada a little bit when he was pitching with Brewers, where it was like the biggest thing that he had to do because we knew he was going to give up home runs is you couldn't do it by letting guys on base at first because Verlander in general, if he's giving up home runs, they're they're a large percentage of them without having the numbers in front of me, I would imagine, are solo shots just because he doesn't give up too many runs. Well, the percentage in that game was 100. I didn't want to <laughs> use one game as like an absolute assessment of what he does writ large. But yeah, that that's kind of the larger point I was driving at, Steve. Was well, that- he also, I think he struck out 15 in that game as well. Like he had a ton of strikeouts and he was only like seven innings. So is that everything wrong about baseball is he struck out 15 people and then he gave up three home runs and, and like... Ken Rosenthal's upset about it. I was just going to say, Ken Rosenthal hates that game. Is, Ken he Ro- is he upset about it, or did he just like interview some folks who are upset about it, and he wrote an article that he knew would get clicks? He should have saved that article for Father's Day, because I think that is the most Father's Day article you probably could have written at the that's, moment. That's for Grandfather's Day, Steve. It re- well, I have a dad. <laughs> Your dad is grandfather, so. He is a grandfather, but I don't call him grandfather. But yeah, it, you know, it's one of those things. Yeah, there's a lot of strikeouts in the game, and if anybody had read the Rosenthal article, it was basically what he called it. It's not baseball anymore. It's bludgeon ball, yeah, which is some garbage, um, obviously, because the game has gone through many phases. It's it's uh, it's definitely something that confuses me in general, just because um, anybody like. We're all old enough to have watched baseball for quite a long time. A lot of the people who are listening to this have been watching baseball for quite a long time. But as somebody who is a historian, what it generally signals to me is people like if Rosenthal does feel this way or a lot of people who are in the game who feel this way, uh, they struggle to deal with change, uh, struggle to deal with a game that changes uh, continuously. And just like what? Five years ago, everybody was talking about the fact that baseball was broken because the pitching was too good and they needed to change everything. Lo and behold, hitters adjusted. And yeah, the juice ball does matter, but like hitters adjusted. They moved to 
kind of maximizing launch angle, being able to hit the balls out of the park because they knew stringing together a lot of base hits wasn't the way to do it because strikeouts are up so much. And lo and behold, you know what's going to happen in the future? Pitchers are going to adjust. It's I like this is a, a system in which you have to allow people the opportunity to change. Baseball is not just one thing. It moves. It, it changes over time. And this is a dance that's been done since the 1880s, like where the offense gets ahead, then the pitching gets ahead and it bounces back and forth. And if you talk to basically anybody who whatever era they grew up in is the way baseball is supposed to be. Well, like, and, and I remember, you know, basically coming of age as a baseball fan in the, you know, early to mid nineties, like that was guys, bludgeon ball guys launching home runs, have guys like, you know, Griffey out there having fun was the baseball I grew up with. And I don't begrudge watching guys hit home runs nowadays. No. Or or having fun when they're on the field. Yeah, absolutely. You know, if they want to go out and and flip a bat or pimp a home run or something like that, or uh, even pitchers, if they want to, you know, get all animated when they struck out the side or something like that, I'm fine with that. Yeah, absolutely. And I do think that they talk about guys pitching up in the zone, especially with their fastball so much more these days. And, they, and I think it's been kind of geared towards and, and used to explain why strikeouts are so high. But one of the things that they're doing as well is trying to avoid home runs. It's hard to get on top of a baseball that's up at the top of the zone. But if you miss, Absolutely. you get launched. That's Absolutely. Absolutely. That, that's, that's the two sides of pitching up in the zone is, yeah, you can strike a lot of guys out, but if you miss just a little bit, that ball gets launched. Absolutely. But now guys are being able to gear their swing for, if you do pitch down in the zone, you're pitching into where a lot of guys want to be able to launch it. So it'll be interesting to see if like, do you guys go more towards sinkers in the future? Like, are you going to find guys with like big sinker balls? Well, because that right now sinkers are way out of fashion in the game. People don't want to throw those because, because you don't miss as many bats. Well, because they'll play right into the, where guys want to load up and hit. And you look at a pitcher like Jimmy Nelson, Jimmy Nelson was in his early iteration was very much a sinker baller. Like he was a guy who wanted to throw a sinker and you look at what he's doing now, he's throwing far fewer sinkers than he used to do. And that's not by accident. That's a a strategic change that is being made across the game where guys are getting away from that because you can launch those. Though one thing you are seeing, and this is brought up in the MVP machine, they talk about this quite a bit, that you want the four seamer high and then playing off of it, the curveball. That's sort of the Houston Astros model it's, at this point. It's is what It's what Justin Berlander does. Right. It's yeah. the high four-seamer, or it's what Garrett Cole does, too. Yeah. The high four-seamer and then the, the, the dropping curveball that plays off of it. That curveball can get launched, though, when it's not sharp. When it's not a crisp, when it's not sharp, and when a guy like looks for it, that plays right into what guys want to hit nowadays. So that, I think goes and plays into this idea of like Justin Verlander does give up some home runs when guys are able to look at stuff like that. But the biggest thing that you do as a pitcher is you try to say, if I miss what happens and if I, right, what is, what is, what is the miss that I'm willing to tolerate? Right. Uh, What it used to be is my miss was, I want you to put it on the ground. I want you to put it on the ground and I'm going to rely on my defense to, to, to be able to take those things. And so many people now are basically being able to say, that's not all that reliable. In fact, that's actually really difficult for us to be able to put together. Putting the ball in play is uh, is really difficult to being able be able to sustain your performance as a pitcher, which is ironic because um, we have also talked about the fact 
that uh, we've talked about the fact that like as a hitter, you actually don't want to put the ball in play a lot either because you want to be able to put the ball in play only when you're able to hit it hard. You don't want to put the ball in play a lot. So I do wonder if there is actually going to be some give and take where you actually see, see some pitchers say, these guys don't want to put the ball in play. This is I'm kind in, of the Christian Yelich right, model right like, now. Is that's what he's doing? Is he is well? He's also hitting a whole lot of home runs because he's good. I mean, <laughs> well, but when he puts the ball in play, it tends you, to be up and saying, it tends to be hard. Are you saying guys can't all model their game off of great players? Well, this was like when Barry Bonds was the hitting coach for Miami, and he was like, "Why can't you just? I did did just do this. Why can't you just do this?" And they were actually talking about like he really struggled to deal with guys that just couldn't do what he did. Well, that was Ted Williams as a manager. Yeah. Yeah, there's talk of that, yeah. And so I do wonder if if there are going to be more pitchers that start to kind of exper- like experiment with the idea that like you have to make hitters do what they don't want to do. And and largely it's been an idea of like swinging at pitches they don't want to swing at being able to to keep the ball high in the zone because it's really difficult. But what really is coming into play is what you know, we see with uh like Aguilar quite a bit recently, like Shaw is a little bit this way when they're putting the ball into play, they're not putting the ball into play with any power whatsoever. And that's causing them a lot of problems this year. And it's why we look at Aguilar and say, you know what, but his, his walk rate's good. And he's not really striking out all that much. Well, he's putting the ball in play and not hitting it hard. And he doesn't want to be able to do that. So how as a pitcher are you forcing guys to do what they don't want to do? What I think that's always an issue as well is, at what point does the walk rate become a, a crutch for some of these guys where you want to say, oh, look at the walk rate. But in reality, that's not something that's necessarily a positive. Yeah, I, absolutely. I think in general, it, it's, you know, we do, we've talked so much more about uh, functional power. We've talked so much more about if you're putting the ball into play, are you having functional, like, are you, are you impacting the ball to make that contact functional? Um, I do wonder if we will start to think about walk rates a little bit more deeply to thinking about like, what does it actually signal? Because as fans, we just kind of use it as like a proxy for plate discipline, right? Like you have a high, high walk rate. That means you understand the zone. You have good plate discipline. It doesn't necessarily mean that, um, nor does it actually mean that you can control the strike zone either. It, what it can mean is like, you just basically see off speed stuff and you just decide, I don't really want to do it. I'm going to try to force guys to pitch in. Um, so it can be overly passive, yeah. but it's also an indication of how good the pitchers are that hitters realize there's only so many pitches they're going to see in a given at bat that they're really going to be able to do something with that. They understand that like being able to drive a 97 mile an hour fastball from somebody who really has good spin on it on the outside corner. They realize they're not going to be able to do that much with yeah, it. Yeah, but so, Aguilar isn't driving anything. Well, no. That's, that's part of the problem. No. And we have a question from Dan Larson. He asks, uh, do you think it's time to DFA Aguilar? Thames has found his power again and appears to be keeping Aguilar out of the lineup. Does it make sense to keep him around if he's only going to start one to two times a week and he's in a massive slump? And also added to this, we had on Saturday afternoon, um, the Brewers started Pena behind the plate and they started uh, – Grandall. Grandall at first base. I mean, if that starts happening, what is Aguilar's position on this team? Well, and that's what I said, like, last week, is it was like at some point you have to make a decision. Is it 
is it worthwhile to keep him on the roster because you're interested in keeping that long-term flexibility if what he's doing is taking away a roster spot from somebody that is actually much more productive? Because like we can talk about the fact all you want that, oh, well, it's not time to make that decision yet. It's not time to make that decision yet. Oh, you're going to kick it down the road. At some point, you have to make a decision. There is no, there is nothing that says, uh, you know, one week you, sh- you shouldn't make that decision, but two weeks, it's about that time in two weeks. Like that doesn't, there is no real cutoff and anything you're doing is arbitrary. Well, and again, when you have Hira, who's a right-handed bat, who can hit with power. Who is still raking, by the way, in AAA. Like, he's been really good since being sent down. Yeah, exactly. So regardless of what's happening at first base, you get another right-handed bat in the lineup. What is the purpose of keeping Aguilar on the roster at the moment? Aside from just not wanting to make that decision. It's becoming more and more, at this point, it's becoming more and more over time that they're doing it for the future. No, they were doing it for a future a week ago. It's not. They're not doing it more for the future than they were a week. The ago. more they decide to play Yasmani Grandal at first base instead of giving, because Eric Thames just hit a home run, and we're watching or we're recording during the game on Sunday. He is solidifying his place on the roster. I think pretty unquestionably, right? We're, yeah, we're agreed with that. Absolutely. Okay. So Aguilar, if Grandal starts to play more and more at first base to allow Manny Pena to come in and get some time at catcher where he is actually, this was pointed out on the uh, the radio broadcast yesterday, Pena has been very good against lefties. It's a small sample, but he's been good against lefties. If that starts to happen more and more, then basically the only reason Aguilar is still on the roster is because you're looking towards the future. And if that's the case, hold on, I'm going to make this point. If that becomes the case, then keeping him around makes less and less sense because as JP pointed out a few weeks ago, the profile of Jesus Aguilar is the kind of profile you can pick up in the offseason relatively cheaply. Or midseason. It's, it's not a hard profile to get. But the point is, it's not just because now we're like it becomes obvious that there's no other explanation. Two, two weeks ago, it was two weeks ago, it was absolutely the exact same conversation. It was it was a hundred percent two weeks ago about the future. It is not more about the future now than it was before. Just because it's more and more clear that they're just hanging on for him for no other reason than than avoiding making the, the DFA because they like his option years. That was always the reason. It's not more the reason now. I mean, it yeah, okay. It's becoming more obvious and it's becoming more clear that they are they're moving away from feeling like he could be a potential answer this year. Because if you start playing Yasmani Grandal more and more at first base on days that Eric Thames isn't there. That's pretty much a, a signal that you have lost confidence in Aguilar's ability to turn it around, right? Well, and the other thing to, to consider is even if they are holding him for the future, there is no way that I would be going into the offseason without targeting first base as a place that I want to upgrade. Well, Steve and I were talking about this before you actually showed up here. Eric Thames does have an option for next year. So at this point, they probably... The way things are playing out, you'd probably bring Eric Thames back for 2020. Sure. But like I'm saying, like even if you were saying on the roster, like I'm holding on, a- holding on to Aguilar, you would be looking to upgrade that spot because there would be nothing that you would see this year. Other than like, well, maybe next year is different. Well, we've seen Jesus Aguilar get hot in a hurry. You've seen him get hot for a hurry for like four months in three years. Yeah, I was going to say, the, the, the time where he was a quote-unquote elite hitter 
was before the All Star break last year, and he was fine after the break. Like, he showed he patience. Was fine. Absolutely, he's still you know he was still a quality hitter. Yeah, he wasn't anything that was an elite hitter. Absolutely, and I'm not for a second saying that Jesus Aguilar cannot be a quality major league hitter, and that is the reason why he is still on this roster. But I'm saying that sometimes as an organization in which you are trying to win as many games as possible and you're trying to, to capture the, the NL Central pennant, sometimes you have to make tough decisions in which you cut players that can be major league useful players. Which, again, Hira comes up and he's that right-handed bat that you're getting rid of. Absolutely. Angular. Yeah, absolutely. But I would also say I just saw when I was kind of, uh, quote-unquote, being professional and preparing that, uh, that Aaron Perez says he wants to be manager. So you know what? Uh, in the future, not like this year. No, but no. are we are we looking at you know we could have a player manager on the on the field too, right? I, so I assume he's that anyways, isn't no, he? I, I would I would hope so. Yeah. So not only would you <laughs> Wait, be like he's getting, gonna need, he's gonna need to get time behind the plate though. Do you think he can both be a guy who both pitches and catches in the same season? Oh, I was gonna say in the same play. Was this like, was discussed no, on the radio. No, I don't. <laughs> on the radio broadcast yesterday, they were bringing up. They got to get him behind the plate at some Isn't point. Isn't he just the to, emergency catcher? He is. I He's the third so. string. No, he is. I'm pretty sure he is. No, he is for sure. And they were talking about that. That at some point they have to they have to do a game. Like maybe if the Brewers were to clinch the division in front of the last day of the season, maybe Craig Council would say, "Hey, today is Hernan Perez Day. He is going to play every position on the diamond for an inning." So is is Hernan Perez a better version of Nick Franklin? <laughs> how many Should, bats did nick franklin get i don't know i mean over a long period of time he he was a kind of emergency catcher who could didn't he get that one and then he went on the dl last year well yes yes there was that one wasn't there a prop bet about that last That's year too epic. Th that yeah. was yeah it was the andy i was just gonna shouts to andy for that because yeah, that was he had that yeah that was awesome um, i did want to point out jesus aguilar in 2017 he had months of a 1.088 OPS, how a 901, how many an 855. Um, they were generally in the 60s. Okay. So not full-time plate appearances, but more than just like an occasional start. 63 plate appearances in a month is, it's not full-time, but it's not. Yeah. I mean, if I, I wouldn't lean on 63 plate appearances to make much of a generalization. But yeah, I mean, I get, I get what you're saying is that he's shown that he could be more successful over time. But like, again, are you then saying that you're not bringing up Hira because you're interested in keeping up a guy that you could give 60 plate appearances to in a month and he could find some success? I think that's, that's what burns me about it at the moment is we're getting a large enough sample size on, on Aguilar with a team that's looking to compete. Yeah. You don't have time to sit there and if you, evaluate right. and say, Hey, somebody can come through. You're competing and you have a guy who can be that side of the plate hitting yeah. and, uh, and give you the offense hey, you right. need. Again, I made this point last week, and I'm going to make it again because it's a, a valid point. You don't like to make decisions and feel regret? No, oh. <laughs> because at this point, if you bring Hira up, he would be replacing on the roster Jesus Aguilar, who's not playing. So that would require a shuffle of the playing time for the other guys as well. So you would be playing other guys less. Hernan Perez would see a huge decline in, in uh, playing time. Which is Travis fine. Shaw would see a huge decline in playing That's time. That's probably fine. Mm, I mean, that, that gets more iffy for me but you know what would be nice is getting Grandall the plate appearances without having to be behind the plate all the time and and also like i'm i'm not avoiding calling up kesson hira because i'm worried that he might take some plate appearances away from guys he's going to hit better than like i'm just i'm just not that worried well, about that well hold on are we really 
I know it's very fashionable to think that no, 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 he no, is no. a much better hitter no, than no, no. Travis Shaw. I think he is. I think I think in terms of his mechanics and his ability to hit the baseball, he is better. I'm not guaranteeing that over the course of the year or the rest of the year he would have better statistical numbers. I'm saying he is a better hitter than Travis Shaw. That okay. That's it's a fair point, and it that might be true, but I think they're fairly close. No, no, I don't. No, I don't Travis think so. Shaw. Travis you're, Shaw. You're has, thinking of offensive production writ large. I'm saying he's a better hitter than Travis Shaw. Okay, that's fine. I'm I'm talking about offensive production. I, even offensive production, I'd still probably put my money on here at the moment. I probably would too. But I, I mean, I understand you're talking about a larger sample size with Travis Shaw, and you're trying to make a broader argument about like how you can trust small samples for Kesson here once people start to adjust to him. I get that, but right. And Travis Shaw has. M- in in terms of just like tools and abilities, Travis Shaw has shown more play to, more plate discipline than Hira has, and he's shown more power. Yeah, he I'm has not, better raw wor- power. I'm not that worried about. It. I mean, if you look at what Keston Hira was able to do over the course of AAA, I mean, yeah, he started off with a massive K rate, and then as he got comfortable, went way down. Walk rate went way up. I mean, and we saw that even his short stint up here, he had you know the early K issues, and all of a sudden the power started to really reveal itself after a week. Yeah, and you know, I mean, which again, that's a small sample. Yeah, but you saw as he got more appearances, yeah, his and, game changed. And again, I by no means are you guaranteeing that Keston here is going to come up and absolutely hit. It's not like I'm guaranteeing he's going to come up and hit, you know, two ninety. But my interest is optimizing your roster and getting the best possible players that you can, and have a rotation of playing time with the best possible players that you can. And right now, even though I think he, I would. I actually think for Aguilar's career, it would be better for him to be able to go somewhere else and get regular playing time. It would be beneficial to all parties to make the decision. Well, they had a week where in four straight games, they had two games where they had a DH and they had two games where they were facing a left-handed pitcher and Aguilar started two of those games and that was it. So he really, if you're talking about situations where it's tailor-made for Jesus Aguilar to get into the lineup and he's getting in in two of four, yeah, I mean, that's it, it does say something about where they are with him right now. I mean, could you make it? I know that I was going to say, like, could he go to somewhere like Miami and be able to get regular playing time? And that'd be really beneficial for him. But former Brewer Garrett Cooper is absolutely like Mi- Miami's Miami. killing it right now. Miami is uh, Jordan Yamamoto, old friend over there, came back and threw Talk seven about great regret. Innings. Ooh. And uh, hold on, Harrison, hold on. If, Harrison and Diaz are going to be up soon. They're going to see time this year. If Harrison Diaz and Yamamoto are all quality big league players, do you start to have some regret about the Christian Yelich? Do, do you wonder, I'll, be, I'll do, be fine. Do you wonder if they could have added somebody other than Yamamoto and Yamamoto <laughs> could be absolutely producing right now in the big leagues? No, do you start to add up. That. Do you start to add up their career war to make sure that it's lower than what Christian Yelich produces on his own? I will have it on my wall. Do you sure. do dollars per war to be able to show that Christian Yelich was better value? <laughs> no. <laughs> good. That's, that's good. This will just. It'll drive you insane now for the rest of their careers. No, it will not. I'm fine. I have, from the minute that trade happened, you know, we had a podcast back then. And I, from the minute that trade happened, I said, eh, it makes sense. They gave up a lot, but it makes sense. It's it's a valid trade. Wish, I wish I had been recording the phone call. No, do you remember? I, I'm, I'm going to go back and find the Google Hangouts where he, I think. <laughs> when like, Harrison let, got yeah, included. Yeah. And then he like left, uh, had an expletive come out. Yeah. When Harrison got included in that trade. You definitely had regrets. No, my point was that it was first reported that he wasn't in it, and I'm like, oh, that's a that's a highway robbery. And then when Harrison got included, it was like, oh, okay, well, that that makes it you know more even. 
that I, is more of a I fair think trade that you shouldn't rewrite history because it's morally offensive. I, as a history as a history teacher, you should know better than that. <laughs> okay, so the Brewers go out to San Francisco, and it's been a horror show. It yeah, has been the horror show is getting you, a little bit worse right now. You hate West Coast games, though. Well, no, I usually don't see many West Coast games. So the fact that two nights in or two days in a row they're playing at three o'clock is actually like easy. Well, in a Friday night game, also as well. We're watching Matt Elber's pitch, which I think is why everybody just Elber's goes came in and, with the bases loaded in the fifth inning with no outs. Yeah, because Chase loaded the bases with no outs, which seems eerily reminiscent of Saturday's game when that's when everything went to shit. So, so we'll we'll see what happens here, but. Um, Obviously, they've been getting guys on base. Uh, they lost, what was it, five to three on in the Friday. first game? Yeah, yeah. And then they lost uh, eight seven. They on, lost eight on seven and in a brutal game. To in watch. A, well, in a brutal game to watch. And right at the end, I think there was what somebody on first and second, or at least somebody on second. And was it Grandall hit one into the gap? And then there was a diving catch in the, in yeah. the ninth inning with two two outs to be able to kind of put that one to bed. Yeah, fine margins, man. It really is. So I, I guess, you know, they've been getting guys on base, and uh, we have a question on Patreon from PB Brew Crew who asks, do you believe that clutch is a real thing, and does this team have it? Because I know right now everybody's, uh, you know, grousing about the fact that they just aren't driving in enough runs when they have opportunities. I want to make the point that this was sent a couple weeks ago. This has been on our rundown for a few yes. weeks now, and it was sent in a time when the Brewers were clutching up like crazy and we're winning a bunch of games late and we're doing really good things so this question was actually meant for the reverse of this which is is this team clutch because look at all these clutch uh hits they're getting and wins that they're pulling out so, so there, i just want to put that out there there's there's an old uh i don't know how many years old the book is uh but what is it called beyond the numbers by baseball perspectives a bunch of like mm -hmm. a collected number of essays and, and actually if you want i have it in a bin over here somewhere i know that i have it too and i'm trying to get rid of books to move um and i but not that one you would keep all your baseball perspectives books yeah to the chagrin of my wife yes <laughs> um but they actually tackle the question and they come they kind of come out to say for individual players uh, there does seem to be just a little bit of statistical significance for somebody like David Ortiz to say that he is more clutch than somebody else. But it's really difficult to be able to say, are they more clutch? And it turns out that largely the, the, the conclusion of the article is it turns out better players are just better in clutch moments more often than not good players. Well, and the inverse of that, and this is an old, old Keith Law talking point is, well, then what's the inverse of it? If you say that a player is better in big situations, you're saying that what they're not trying as hard when it's not a big situation. Like when oh, it's yeah. a low leverage situation, that means if you're saying that they can up their game at will because it's a big situation, well, then you're saying when they don't up their game, they're just choosing not to do that. And yeah. it's so that's a it, it does cut both ways in a way I think most people don't recognize. I want to point out the Brewers this season hitting wise have a 757 OPS with the bases empty. With men on, it jumps to 827. And with runners in scoring position, it is 825. So you're saying they are clutch. What I'm saying is that this season, they have been better with runners in scoring position and with men on than they have been when there's nobody on base. So I think, so to, to kind of answer it like more directly for myself for this, instead of like bringing up the old article, I would say that number one, uh, for teams, for individual players, it seems that, 
you know, there might be some people, but as a team, no, I don't think it is. Um, at least in clutch in the way that we think of it. What I do think is more real, and this is just kind of intuitive, like I don't have statistical evidence to show it, but I do think that the more you're actually used to playing in competitive situations, you actually panic a little bit less. Um, I think that what we saw, what was it, a couple of years ago in which the, the Brewers were trying to compete and they kind of faltered down the stretch, and they had a young team, and you could just you could really see that guys like Orlando Arcio were pressing, um, and you would say that you know what they learn from these things, and you can actually do interviews with them, and they say, yeah, we've been here before, we've done it, we know not to overreact, we know that there are going to be ups and downs throughout the course of a season, and if you talk to older players, they tend to be more calm in big spots because they've seen it before, and so I think you do see. Teams that feel like they're more clutch or teams that have kind of been in the situation more and more. Um, I do think that there is something to be said for guys like Travis Shaw, per se, earlier this year when he was struggling for a while. I do think he was putting more pressure on himself. I think he was probably trying too hard. I think it's human nature to try to, you know, you try yourself out of a slump and you can make it worse. Um, and sometimes, you know, that's what we always say. The manager says, you know what, Steve, I'm going to need you to take a couple episodes off, right? Go clear your head. Come on back. <laughs> Go get some Fantasy Factory IPA. That sounds totally legit. Yeah, and then come on back in a couple in a couple of episodes and then we'll get you we'll get you on point. Well, I think a good example of this point was what was it Prince Fielder in 2010? Yeah, I think it was 2010 where he got off to a terrible start and he was spent the entire year trying to dig out his numbers and actually if you look at what he did for the rest of the season after like May, so June through September, he was absolutely fine, and he put up the numbers you would expect from Prince Fielder. But there was a, a sense that because he'd started so slow and he was digging out from that, that bad start and that every day he was faced with looking at a bad number. You know what I mean? Like He was looking at bad season production to that point. That does weigh on guys. I think even you know good professional players like Prince Fielder, I think it can weigh on guys. But I think it also becomes... I think it becomes too much of an excuse for any individual failure. Like when, when Prince Fielder would have a bad game, it was like, well, he's pressing because his season has been so bad to this far. Well, no, guys just have ups and downs. Over a long baseball season, you have good performances, bad performances, good runs, bad runs. Yeah, well, Steve, Steve ran upstairs for just a, for a hot second, so I'm going to bring up soccer for a moment. Is uh, One of the things that if you listen and you watch uh, kind of like English Premier League, they always talk about, whether or not a team is trying hard enough, whether or not their desire is there, whether or not they're really go they're going for it. And as it always turns out, the team that's winning just really wants it more. The team that's losing, you know, they just don't feel like they're trying quite as hard. And uh, it turns out when, when you're not playing all that well, it looks worse. And so I, I don't really buy into it all that much, but what I will say is somebody like Jesus Aguilar earlier this year when he was in a prolonged slump and then finally got one to drop, like you could see how relieved he was. Those things matter because people are human beings. But over the course of a long year, over the course of an aggregate number of twenty-five players on a roster, over the course of of you know one hundred and sixty-two games, no, I don't think that a team can be more clutch. Uh, I think what you will see is uh, because even one hundred and sixty-two games can be a small sample over the course of like production that you can just see some random variance for a while. And as human beings, what we try to do is we try to come up with reasons why 
the things we see matter. And like what we see, we want that to matter. We don't, we don't like to hear. It's the same thing that batting average, how balls in play was so difficult for people to hear. We don't like to hear, oh, well, that was just random. Like, we don't like to hear those things. It's like why people say that people got really upset when they said, like, uh, you know, like the hot hand doesn't really exist in basketball. They were like, of course it does. Of course it does. And now it actually turns out it, it kind of might. Like Maybe a little bit. Right. Yeah. But like, it's, it's one of those things that like, we want the things we see to matter and we want to be able to craft a narrative that makes sense to us. And, and the way that we do it when we can't really understand is we ascribe intent and we ascribe like people's ability to try hard or not try hard. And, and that becomes really, really difficult. Right. And we see that those things become circumscribed by race quite a bit. Like certain players, certain races are deemed not trying as hard, uh, you know, turns out guys like Scooter Jeanette, uh, because they're scrappy white players, they try real hard, a lot. And so it's, it's hard for us to be able to kind of break these narratives down that we're so used to hearing over a course of, you know, sports fandom. I yeah, guess. and it is a thing that you see on Twitter. When a team is playing poorly, when they're, when they're having a bad thing, you will see people say, well, I guess they just didn't want to win this game. They didn't care. They, oh, they don't care. They don't... It's they're playing poorly and it's not working. And usually that gets morphed into effort in the narrative. Yeah. And it, it really is a thing that, yeah, when I see it, I, I used to tr call it out and now I just kind of ignore it because it's like, well, it's just the way it is. But it's, it is kind of, it, it's a, it's a problem in terms of analysis that we want to, and as you were saying, we want to ascribe meaning to things. It's not that this thing that is good or bad just happened. It had to have happened for a reason. Because then we can build narratives for the, the success of it or the failure of it around that. And so often it's just reverse engineering an explanation yeah well well speaking of a lack of effort uh saturday they obviously in the field must have been putting in a lack of effort because it was a pretty rough game to watch i fortunately did not see it i heard it and the descriptions of it from uh the wonderful jeff levering and lane grindle uh made it sound like there were a number of plays where it was just like uh crap that ball just happened to get down well and it's always odd when like okay you know there's a group converging on a, a short fly ball and like lorenzo kane doesn't come up with it or Orlando Arcia, for that matter. Like, you kind of think if you have those two guys especially coming in on a ball. Somebody's going to get that Somebody's going to get it. And it just was not happening on Saturday. Um, so you also had Christian Yelich. What did he, he, like, kicked a ball and it went away from him and that was the decisive uh, run? Like, that was the run the Giants won by? Was... Yeah, I'm forgetting how it all played out in that one. I mean, that... That triples corner that they have in San Francisco has been like the death of the Brewers so far. Yeah, there was a, a spot. JP didn't see this because he was still driving here. But early in the game on Sunday, there was a ball that the Brewers drove that would have absolutely scored the runner from first, but it bounced through the fence. There's a little gap in the fence and it bounced through. So it was declared a ground rule double. Yeah, the Brewers and they hit brought that, the runner back. The Brewers hit that, but yet the Giants seem to keep hitting that triples corner. So is that a scenario in which the Giants are trying harder? Or oh, the Giants are taking advantage of home field. Yeah, in that case, <laughs> right? That's what it is. You're right. I forgot but about that. It's not that they're taking advantage of it. They know how to play to their park. Yeah, exactly. they know how to do the things to win in their ballpark. So we have a, a question on Patreon from Michael Heitkamp. He says, uh, "In late seasons, the Brewers had a well below, well above average defensive efficiency. So far this year, they're below league average. Has the defense actually been worse this year?" 
Are they unlucky? Is it a positioning uh, issue? Anecdotally, it feels like the positioning has been worse, but that could just be confirmation bias for what's going on in San Francisco. Well, I did look at this up, and I saw that um, on the park-adjusted defensive efficiency, which is a stat that you can find on Baseball Prospectus, uh, last year the Brewers were fourth, and actually for most of the season they were first, but they faded late. I think part of that was that once Travis Shaw started to play more at second base, they started to fall back a little bit. Thank you for nodding, JP. <laughs> um, they're so far 17th in 2019, so basically right around average. Yeah, that's not terrible. It's not terrible, but it is a significant fall off from a thing that was successful for them last year. I think that I would be tempted, at least in part, to ascribe this to, yeah, playing Mike Moustakis at second base on most days when Travis Shaw has been at third. Uh, that's not going to help you in this situation. I think that, you know, they've been pretty good in the outfield. They haven't played a bunch of Domingo Santana out there. So Ben Gamble is a much better defender. So that's been helpful. But I think that that's at least part of it. But then some of this is just fluctuation in how things happen. Yeah, it, JP, how much of defense is just kind of that fickle mistress? We're from season to season. You never know what's going to happen. Because, okay, for example, the 2016 Cubs were, what, an all-time great defensive team? And they have not come close to attaining those levels since. And they haven't changed personnel that dramatically from season to no, season. No, and in some ways, they've changed personnel to be better defensively in some areas. So, I mean, how much of this is just an issue with tracking defense from season to season? We're not used to it. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly a big piece of it. I would also argue that this is a pitching staff that has given up a lot more hard contact than last year's pitching staff. Um, and defensive efficiency is is much worse when, you know, guys hit the ball harder. So I would say anecdotally, I would wonder if the infield is shifting quite as much. Um, I don't have an answer to that, but it does feel like uh, from what I've watched, because I haven't looked at the numbers, so I can only just go based on kind of, you know, what it feels like that uh, they're not shifting quite as much, which is a really problematic scenario because there's some data to show that like shifting actually doesn't really help batting average on balls in play. It doesn't really help defensive efficiency, but there are some numbers to show that it can. Um, or, well, and has actually, if you look back at what Russell Carlton has done, he's kind of gone back and said, I think he was actually writing now that they're talking about banning the shift, like teams had finally just figured out how to actually do it in an effective way. But I would be interested to, to kind of know why. I also am I'm also interested in, like, whether or not d these sort of defensive numbers that you're looking at for, like, baseball prospectus. Like, because baseball prospectus says that Orlando Arcia hasn't been very good defensively, and that's wrong. We're laughing right now because after talking about uh, Jesus Aguilar, he just went yard. Absolutely good. Because... That's what happens. Yeah. That is how this works. And we we're did. cheering for Jesus. Of course we are. Regardless of what we actually have been saying about him. Uh, well, and again, right? The entire point is not to say that Jesus Aguilar can't be a good hitter or isn't a good hitter, right? It's about making tough decisions. It's like sometimes you have to let good pitchers go. Sometimes well, you have to let like good hitter, hitters go. When we were talking about like he can succeed elsewhere. Yeah. It's because the Brewers need somebody succeeding right now. Absolutely. And sometimes like things just don't work out. And sometimes if you're a good hitter, there's somebody that may be a better hitter coming up behind you. And that that's life. That doesn't mean that you're all of a sudden bad. Just because the Brewers got rid of Domingo Santana doesn't mean they can't hit. 
they need a different kind of guy in the roster. Um, just looking at the stat cast numbers for this year for shifting, the Brewers are fifth in the league in shifting. Uh, so I, I believe last year they were up more towards the very, very top. I think they were either first or second. So maybe they're, they are, at least by comparison to the league, shifting a little bit less this year than they did last year. Yeah, I mean, again, it's hard to say with defense from season to season. You know, hard hit rates change with starting rotations from season to season. Effectiveness from the bullpen, you know, when when you're getting tons of strikeouts from the bullpen the year before, and then all of a sudden more balls are in play. A lot of things can go into this. So um, I think part of it's just having faith in the roster they put together. Well, and some of it is trying to. So I mean, they didn't do anything in the offseason that makes you say they made this team demonstrably worse in the field. Oh, absolutely. And well, I, besides having Mustakas playing every day at well, second like base, you said, they were playing Shaw there last year. Well, I mean, in the second half, they were early but it's on, not, though. They weren't. But it's not like the entire season they had some defensive wizard at second base and then they moved Travis Shaw there. No, they had Jonathan VR there for a big chunk of it, and VR is a good defender. Well, a lot of people would say VR was not the best defender, but they're well, probably yeah. That's not more correct. of a seeing him make errors as opposed to seeing him not get to balls. Yeah. You know? So I guess uh, one other thing I want to get to real quick: um, Jimmy Nelson started on Saturday, started strong. He went what three strong. Uh, four strong, or four strong, and then and then the, the wheels, inning. yeah, the wheels just completely fell off. Um, he threw twelve straight balls. He's putting the guys on base. Uh, Hauser comes in, gives up, you know, the runs that uh, Nelson basically put on base. Um, I guess what were the positives and negatives from Nelson's start on on Saturday to you, Ryan? Well, I mean, he did go a little bit deeper before the wheels came off, so that's one good thing. I think that. We're going to have to sort of give him some space to get himself back to where he uh, he feels like he's in a good space. And I don't know. We've talked a lot about whether or not this team can afford to do that in the middle of a tough pennant race with other positions like Jesus Aguilar at first or Travis Shaw at third. I don't really have a great answer to that. Well, they don't have somebody like Kessinura sitting ready to replace Jimmy Nelson. Um, no, but they do have they have lots of options they can options are different options, options are, are different than Keston Hira being able to just get inserted into the line. Yeah, it's a fair point. And and the one thing that I will say, and kind of calling to what Steve has said a bunch, like Steve has said, like he has no expectations for Jimmy Nelson. No idea what to expect. And we've said like it it's great to have him back and we want to to see him have success. And I think that at his best, he is a better option than what we've seen. But like all of us the fact that they kept saying his shoulder injury wasn't all that severe, and then it was like a year and a half until he came back, almost two years, was 21 months? 21 months, like yeah. it, We don't know what to expect. And now he's sitting 90 to 93? Is well, that- I was just going to bring that up. Brooks Baseball had, in his last months before the injury, his four-seamer was at 94.57, 94.76, and now it is at 92.31. So you're looking at more than two miles an hour drop from where he was right before he got hurt. Now, but I would also argue that that has nothing to do with him throwing a bunch of balls and walking the world. No, that doesn't. But it also gives him less uh, leeway to feel like he can just be in the zone. But he's also dealing with some pretty major structural issues in his arm, which 
okay, so it's affecting velocity, it's fe- affecting command, and he's still working his way back. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and he's also he's I throwing know. different pitches than he was at the end there. There's something kind of interesting going on here. When he, those last months before he got hurt, he was throwing his four-seamer 17.09% of the time in, in August, 11% of the time in September, though I think that was just that one start. And he was throwing his sinker like 37 and 42% of the time. He is now throwing his four-seamer at 37% of the time and his sinker 20%. Now, this is early indications. We'll see. But it looks like there's maybe been an approach change as well. Like he is going more towards his four-seamer than he was even at the very end with his sinker. We'll have to see how this all plays out. Again, no, that, I don't think that has anything to do with his performance. I mean, he's throwing different pitches at yeah, different but that, rates. Yeah, but that's not anything to do with what his problems have been. Um, I mean, he's throwing... So, no, the types of pitches he's throwing has nothing to do with velocity issues and his ability to command the baseball. Uh, the command of the baseball is tied to what you're throwing. I mean, there is something there. I, I understand you have to control different pitches in different ways, but... I'm I'm saying that you that doesn't actually change the fact that even when he does throw pitches he had been throwing in the past he's still not commanding those. Sure, that's fine, and it we would have to see. I would be very interested to break it down pitch by pitch and see how that's going. If he's maybe throwing pitches that he feels he can command better than what he, I mean, it's three was, starts, right? Two starts. It's two starts. Yeah, it's it's really early to try to jump on any definitive answers here. I'm just pointing towards some things to keep an eye on that. This yeah. is at least interesting to to see if this holds up because it's it's a change from where he was. He's throwing yeah. his curveball a lot less than he I was. I guess, JP, do we see – are there going to be some breaks coming up here for Jimmy Nelson? Do you think that's a potential issue that they have to deal with is, okay, we've got a couple starts. Let's see where he's at velocity-wise, command-wise. Shut him down maybe for a little bit and then bring him back after he's gotten some time to recover. I actually am not sure that t- taking more time off would be beneficial for him. I mean, they did skip a start just before this last one. Yeah, but I mean that that just kind of worked out. I I don't I think that what Jimmy Nelson needs more than anything is uh, reps, which is why they were going to give him more reps at AAA, and it just kind of worked out that he needed to get out faster. Well, he but, complained about having to pitch more at AAA. Oh, absolutely. Well, I mean, he was he was out for twenty one months. He's a big leaguer. He wants to be up. Yeah, I get it. I you know I understand I, that you don't care if he I wants get, to be up. I get that these guys want to be competitive. Yeah, and and argue that way. But it's also like you know what, man, you're lucky to even still have a career at this point. Yeah, that was a major, major, major shoulder injury that he's dealing with. Yeah, I mean that used to guys used to be done. I I, I you really, used to get that injury and you were done. When was the last time you've you've heard a, like a professional be like you know I yeah I don't know oh I'm no 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 I totally get it but that's why you know Jimmy can sit there and and complain about getting sent back down and it's like that's fine this team is doing what they need to do a to be competitive and b to get you to a level that they need you to be at to be competitive on the field for them yeah and I do I especially because the AAA level is in the PCL. I'm not necessarily sure that I want him like trouncing around the PCL all that much. Send so, down to AA, I guess. <laughs> just keep on going down, man. Just keep I know you're upset. What if well, we team the, up? The, this is like the way that Steve's going to The Padres, gonna, the Padres just sent Paddock down to Yeah, but they told him that he was going that they were going to be doing that beforehand. This is a, like Steve's negotiating tactic would be like I want $40,000. And then, and they're, well, no, it would be like me coming in and me telling Steve, I want 40,000. He goes, how about 35? And I was like, how about 40? And you'd be like, how about 30? 
Like, you're going to complain. I'm going to send you down even exactly. more. That, that is my negotiating tactic. That's for sure. Uh, and again, hey, if they have a problem with it, then they should tell their the Players Association to uh, negotiate better terms for them. Yeah, that, yeah, that'd be really great for Jimmy Nelson at the moment. Yeah, he's screwed at the moment. Yeah. Too bad. History has already screwed you, Jimmy. So, um, But I guess that'll look for the rest of the season. You think that they just need to stick with them? I do. I mean, is right now I would argue that no matter who they would be putting in the rotation in for Jimmy Nelson, barring a trade, uh, they would also have huge question marks about their ability to be consistent. I, I would say that take your arm that you feel most confident long-term can be most successful for you if you don't have any obvious upgrades, that you let them keep going out and, and keep improving. If there is somebody that kind of proves whether it's a triple a or whether it's out of the bullpen or whether it's in spot starts that there they can be more successful now then maybe you have to have a conversation but right now i mean who are you going to replace him with that you feel more confident that he's going to come in and be more productive than jimmy nelson is well here's the question because shasin is coming back i believe he's set to start in the san diego series yeah so shasin is coming back that is going to mean the rotation is Shasin. I assume we're talking about davies and and woodruff or they're unnegotiables i mean they're in the rotation there's no question there so that's three. So you're going to argue right now that either Chase Anderson or Freddie, Freddie Peralta are more consistent than what Jimmy Nelson could be? Well, Gio Gonzalez is also coming back. Yeah, I, sure. We don't let's, know when that's coming back. No, no, no. That's fine. Let's throw Gio in that. Are you, are you more confident that Gio Chase or Freddie Peralta could be more consistent than Jimmy Nelson trying to work back? Because no. there is no way that I am. No, consistency yeah. from I that perspective. Gio. You would? I might take Gio as being more consistent. Now, if you said who has a higher ceiling, yeah, who can be more effective, yeah. like if they reach their peak, obviously Jimmy Nelson. Yeah, but if yeah. you said, ba- hold on, out of all that group, it's no, Freddie he Peralta. Just, he was just, he was just. Uh, I don't. know. No. If I agree with Freddie that Peralta at all. has a higher ceiling than Jimmy Nelson at this point. No. You're insane. No, I don't agree with. Oh that no, 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 no. Com- what with what Jimmy Nelson is doing right now, how he looks right now. Why? Yeah, what, why would his why ceiling you, be exactly what? Yeah, he is his now. ceiling isn't what he's doing at this very moment. You're saying he will not throw harder than oh, no, no, 93 no. miles I mean, an hour in the next, start. and he will not have no, any more. But that's why we're ta- we just we're talking long term ceiling. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. We're talking about slightly different things here. Okay. Oh, and by on. slightly, you mean completely. But yes, we are talking about different things. We're going to have to like pause this as I punch Ryan in the face <laughs> for completely misunderstanding what we're talking about. There is, there is a different feeling of animosity being in the studio <laughs> that sometimes comes across where I'm just like, they are at different sides. And I'm like looking at them while they're somewhat looking at the game that I'm like here. And I can just feel it when Steve is like getting annoyed. It happens. Yeah, I mean, Geo Geo's an interesting question. Like I said, if you're you're to kind of take a baseline, I might still take Geo at this point. That's interesting. With, with I don't Jimmy know. Jimmy is being Jimmy has the potential to be a better pitcher, but I just again going back to that injury and the amount of time it's going to take for him to get back and get used to pitching on a major league mound again. Yeah, that's interesting. I I don't I wouldn't, but that I mean, there's an argument for it to be sure. Yeah. I mean, if you're talking about consistency, the consistency of all those guys is way up in the air, which is why we're at where we're at with that part of the rotation is that there is a big question. If we're talking about like who could go out and throw a really good start in their next start, who could go out and dominate for seven or eight innings? I think Freddie is the most likely candidate in that group. To well, go I, don't think, I don't think Jimmy Nelson can go seven or eight at the moment. I don't. Yeah, I mean, I don't think. And Freddie Peralta has also shown the ability to like, yeah, all of a sudden he goes out and pitches a great game. Yes, and that's what I'm saying is that but like, I'm not he has that pit- ability to but potentially do that. But I don't think do we aren't talking about pitching one great game. 
we're talking about who can reach a ceiling where they go on a run and they're that next guy you want in the rotation. And that is yeah, that's it's a not question. Peral- yeah. That's not Peralta because there's just too much variability from start to start with Peralta. And I think that right now you probably do have Peralta. Like Peralta's probably does. I don't know if he's in the rotation. I'm not sure if he's in the rotation because Chase Anderson got the start on Sunday and with uh, Shasin coming back and Nelson. So it'd be Shasin, Nelson, Davies, Woodruff. Yeah. I mean, does that push Peralta out? I, I don't, don't know. know. And well, and that's why it's like there, there are a lot of question marks. And we talked about this last year. It's like, do you want Alex Cobb? Well, Alex Cobb's just basically more of what they've got. Like, just throw it in the mix. Didn't Alex like, Cobb, like, break his back or well, something? I don't know. What's he on the deal? Yeah, like, yeah he's up for the rest of the year. Yeah, that was... He's a rough one, man. Yeah. At least he got paid. Um, and Man, he's always got injuries like that, though. A broken back? Well... Not like that. I'm I'm calling it a broken back. Oh, got it. I, I don't think it's actually a broken back, but Alex Cobb having a major injury yeah. and missing a lot of time yeah. is not something... What I will say, if we, if we are talking about, like, guys who we've kind of made fun of in terms of their pitching, like, Lance Lynn's been quite good this year. I mean, his, like, one production's been, like... It's been fine, but like his ability to miss bats and stuff, like his FIP is excellent. I mean, Lance Lynn has been a quality pitcher. Yeah, he's been and a stalwart, a, a guy you want in the middle to back of your rotation, like a number four starter. I mean, the last couple of years, no, he hasn't, but this year he has been. Last couple of years, he's been terrible. Uh, he had good runs though, like when he first last got year to the Yankees, he had a good. I would run. say last year was really weird for him. Yeah, because signed once he late got to the Yankees. Signed late with the Twins. Is it because he has two first names? <laughs> it could be. Signed late with the Twins, and they got traded midseason yeah. to the Yankees. It was just a weird year for and him. And the year before that, he was bad. With St. Louis. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I don't know. No, I'm just saying, like, pitcher variability is weird. Yeah. God, I hate pitchers. You just need so many once they go to you the bullpen, they really are Steve. the worst. <laughs> Steve, you were a pitcher. I know. There's a deep sense of self-loathing there. He's like, they just the, the podcast is really just a self-exploration you think every Steve. You think everything's going well, and then it just goes to fucking hell. Like, <laughs> he, you try to rely on your fielders behind you, and let me tell you, you never rely on anyone. Strike them out yourself. Never rely on anyone behind you. That yeah. is the biggest thing. You know, it used to be like, oh, you know, throw strikes and let, let the, the team behind you do the work. It's like, That's no. The line. I just watched Bull Durham a couple weekends Get ago. Get it yourself. Yeah, strikeouts are fascist. Throw some ground balls. No. <laughs> hey, it's tw- it's 2019. Fascism is in. <laughs> are, are you guys going to disagree with me? No. I don't know if you followed, follow, followed uh, Brazilian or Hungarian politics lately. <laughs> yeah, it, it does seem to be on the march across the world, Steve. It's, it's, it's not a good thing. So every pitcher should follow that. Okay, we'll get back on track. Um, we got a trade, a lot of trade deadline questions. It it is starting to heat up. Is I think it, it trade deadlines? I tra- usually it's, hold it's, on. It's trade deadline season because the draft's over. It is. Well, we, and I think we also, gotta have something exciting. The, to talk the, Mar- about. the Mariners just made a trade, right? Mariners just get just traded it. Well, that's what they do, though. right? Jerry well, Depoto. Jerry, I mean, Jerry Depoto's like, have I made a trade in the last oh, two weeks? Guys, I'm, I'm they're heroin ner- addicts. I'm getting nervous. <laughs> are able to like play it cool more than Jerry. There was a wonderful tweet. I sorry. I can't credit who it was, but they pointed out. They're like, well, it was probably you. Edwin Encarnacion was traded away while Jerry DePoto was at his kid's graduation in Southern California. He was done for high school graduation and they're like, well, I guess that's kind of fitting because he, he, he uh, completed the, the trade for Edwin Encarnacion from a hospital bed. So like it, this is just what Jerry DePoto does. 
I thought you were going to say he should have traded his son's graduation for Edwin Encarnacion. I think it was his daughter, but whatever. His child. Okay. Happy Father's Day, right? Mm Mm-hmm. I guess. Okay. Hold on. Should I get to these questions? (laughs) We have a Patreon question from Adam Post. He says, any indication at this point of the season, what players might be available on the midseason trade market? I mean, we can guess. But as of right now, outside of like... That Encarnacion would have been useful for the Brewers at first base. Well, I was going to say, outside, mm. the fir- outside of the first couple of... Well, so, <laughs> according to Ryan's noise, you always have to remember, unless the, the, the return is absolutely nothing he cares about, it has to be a huge upgrade. Otherwise, he's not interested. No, Edwin Encarnacion isn't really a first baseman anymore. He's a DH. Yeah, I mean, he could take a glove and stand over there, but you don't want him playing first base every day, which no, is what you, you'd have to do in the end. You don't want him playing first base. I actually don't want him playing first base either. But um, <laughs> well, uh, thank you. So, but outside of like the three teams, I would say outside of maybe uh, Seattle, Miami, and Baltimore, it's still kind of unclear who's going to be. Oh, Miami is making a charge. <laughs> They're getting back into it. That's great. They're also still going to trade All guys right, like Starlin are. Castro. So. Guys that I've oh, seen. Oh, that doesn't do Edison any good. They're going to trade Starlin Castro, and then they're going to bring up Isan Diaz to play second base. I did research, and guys. And then the regret will set in. Absolutely. It'll be, it'll be Ryan's regret season. That's what we're going to so, call. Uh, that's what we're going to call July. Who's going to race to pick up Diaz first in the uh, tailgate uh, baseball league? I don't know. I still have Keston Hira sitting on my bench. But I do have uh, I do have Jordan Alvarez absolutely hitting bombs. For with, me, so. with how terrible my team is, you the could team use is at the moment, I think I'll him. pick up Diaz just so I can start him. And hopefully, you know, against Ryan, that's when he has his Look, week. I'm upset still that you beat me. I, you've been terrible all year, and then the the one week I play, you put the most points up in the entire league. I blame you, Darvish. You, <laughs> I had a great pick in you, Darvish, and you, Darvish, has been ass. <laughs> he is terrible. Everything Cubs that I drafted on my team is terrible. Well, it's good to know. So um, I got what I deserved for saying, oh, I'm going to go with some Cubs. Well, and and build my team around. I mean, that. we all do make choices. Um, and we but, do, and I got what I deserve for that. So yeah. everybody listening, remember that the Cubs are terrible. They will fuck you, <laughs> and it's what you deserve when they do that. I hey. will. I will say that uh, Ryan's team's been really bad, but he's somehow gotten a few wins, and I don't think that that's deserved. Who is it, Sean? Sean Andrews uh, posts the deserved yes. wins. Yeah. And and it's always self affirming because he shows that I have like two. I should have two or three more wins than I do. But I should also have more wins than Ryan. You should, yeah. Ryan should have like the second lowest. Yeah. So getting back to the question, which I did Wait, research no, for, we need whatever. To spend some more no, time whatever. On this. But I did, yeah, okay, anyways, I did actual research for. I did. Um, the big ones that are getting talked about so far are the team the Brewers are playing currently, which is the Giants. Uh, Madison Bumgarner, Will Smith, both look like they're going to be potentially big um, trades. Uh, Nick Castellanos and uh, was it Matthew Boyd in Detroit look like they're going to be moved for. Do you think the Brewers could pick up Eric Kratz and trade him back to the Giants? I think he's for uh, Madison Bumgarner is or Eric, at least Will is, Smith. Is Eric Kratz this year's Oliver Drake? Eric Kratz is every year's Oliver Drake. No, I think that I think Eric Kratz has been on four teams thus far. Oliver Drake last year, I think had seven ish. Oh, yeah. I mean. Uh, yes, Oliver Drake last year had in a calendar year. I think he was on like nine different teams, I'm, which is some sort of a record. I'm really hopeful. Well, not it's not Edwin Jackson's record. No, most no, in major league calendar, teams ever. I'm in so one, proud of him. In one calendar year, he I was, was on like nine organizations. I was so happy. I was, was so proud of. If anybody in the, the if anybody is a a Toronto fan or b is in the Blue Jays organization, 
Uh, a huge shout out for you for giving a contract to Edwin Jackson and putting him on your roster. Beat all, beat Octavio Dotel's record. Yeah. So we'll get back to it. Who do you have, Ryan? Um, and then also the Padres just popped up on Friday night. Apparently, the Padres are willing to trade away like anybody who's a hitter who isn't like Fernando, Fernando Tatis, Tatis Jr. That's oh. because uh, San Diego has far too many good hitters for their roster and like cannot even keep them all on the same roster, which is why they have Luis Urias and in, in, in Francisco AAA. Mejia are both in AAA. And like, there's, well, yeah. Mejia's been trash, but yeah, he's been to awful. Uh, but but they like AAA though, I think. Well, good. that doesn't count. Uh, and there are hey is will myers available then yes yeah that's a right hand i mean they're talking that i've it really looks like hunter renfro is going to be somebody that probably goes um um franchi might get moved or no not franchi the other one Um, i I wouldn't be surprised if i don't think that fran mill will go oh Um, yeah but it'll be interesting to see if they put kirby yates on the roster uh, on on the the trade block because he would be somebody that could get something because i don't see a lot everyone wants relievers and i don't really see a lot of good relievers out there maybe will smith is like kind of top of the market at the moment and he's good but i don't think he's gonna change anyone's bullpen mm, will smith would really he would make, the Brewers he would bullpen. make it better yes quite okay a bit. so so be uh pb brew crew again on patreon asks uh, is trent grisham Someone who the Brewers might be willing to trade at the deadline. His recent hot streak would seem to increase his value if they were willing to part with him. So Grisham's kind of a weird one. I do think that they would move him, yes. I think they would probably move him too. And it's a question of how much does another team want to buy into what he's doing? And we talked about this at length on the minor league podcast this week. And we both kind of said it would be nice to know if there has been a major swing change. Like that would be a thing that would be. I don't think I really care if there's a swing change. Oh, well, I said that there would be nice to know if there was a major swing change. And uh, at this point, you, we don't know. So it would, be, it would be a positive. But how much another team wants to value Trent Grisham at this point is a black box. We don't know. Yeah, JP, how, what does Grisham bring back? Is that basically a Will Smith return? I think that Grisham, no, yeah, I mean, maybe. I don't, I don't even think Grisham is kind of a top... 200 prospect at the moment maybe top 150 you find somebody who really believes in him i i would i don't think he brings back wait so how face. old is grisham is 22 two? i would say that grisham it would be a lot like what uh the brewers were able to trade for anthony swarzak in which it was ryan cordell i think it would be something close to that kind of like oh uh, man uh, you're breaking hearts like are you uh, swarzak was good with the brewers swarzak was good oh, but, no, but, but they don't want to think like ryan cordell like yeah that's the oh, level got it uh, but like it's a, I would say that yeah, it would be like a, a useful guy that could pitch in high leverage situations, but not like you know, not like one of the top two relievers on the market is probably somebody that Trent Grisham could bring. Yeah, it. So not unless, Will Myers, though. It all comes down to the one guy that the Giants. Oh, so the Giants are the ones who have Will Smith. If they have scouts that love uh, Trent Grisham for some reason or another then maybe that does work. It, it all, when you're talking about dealing for well, one but they're probably guy, also monitoring what the market is. If they know everybody else doesn't love him that much, they're not going to. Well, overpay. it would depend if they think he, they is, don't want regret. If they think he's really good, they could potentially make a move on him, but you just don't know how, what any individual team thinks of any individual player. You really don't know. I do like the idea that our trade analysis is like, if a team really thinks that that player is good, they might move for him. <laughs> that like is good. 
No, well, I know what you're. I know what you're saying. I'm just especially. Being, I know. I'm being a dick. I know. Yes, you're Steve. Being in proximity to Steve is making you more Steve-like. Well, no, so. it makes it so. Like now, we don't have to. Like if I talk, you can while see you two what I'm talking, dealing with. <laughs> no, I was gonna say that now. You when you two are talking, normally I can't talk on the regular podcast over it because it like cuts everything off. So I can now actually talk over you a little bit when I'm in person. <laughs> okay, so we got one last question on Patreon from Nick Augustin. He asks, "What would your dream midseason trade be for 2018?" Partially realistic. Like, don't go crazy with it. I mean, I, I guess I would say I would be targeting the bullpen. Um, I mean, a dream, I'd have to, God, I have to think about it a little bit because as soon as I said it, what popped in my head was maybe like a Marcus Stroman would be really interesting. Um, but I think somebody, if if somebody like Kirby Yates is going to be available, he'd be really, uh, he'd be a guy that, that people would want to target. Um, I think that the Brewers are going to be looking for bullpen help is going to be is is what I think they're going to do. If they can find a really high end pitcher that has control years, maybe they'll look at it. But I don't think they've got the horses to be able to go for it. I think they're going to have to. I don't think that they're going to be able to um, go and get. I like if they wanted Stroman, I don't think they could afford it. Like I don't think they have the prospects to get it done. I think they're going to be looking at. Um, they're going to be looking at 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 bullpen guys who are are solid but not great well especially when a mid-season upgrade for the brewers is hero yeah absolutely i mean he's not you can't trade him at this point. i mean yeah and oh you'd be insane too ryan who's your choice for i mean i think i'm, I'm very much in the same boat as breen here because i think that the most likely thing they're going to do is upgrade the bullpen and so like in that sense it would be like will smith would be kind of a dream acquisition. I think he would fit right in. He already told Adam McAlvey he would love to come back. I'm sure he would love to go to a contender. Well, specifically to Milwaukee because he has friends here and yeah, he and he him and, and Jeffress. Yeah, I say him and Jeffress could get back together, yeah, for sure. Well, and he just is familiar with the whole thing and yeah. it wouldn't be it wouldn't be a jarring transition for and, him. And to be honest, I'm sure he would love to come back for a team in which he played to help him try to go win. Why? Right? Cuz I mean, he wasn't on the he was part of the rebuild for the Brewers for a while and wasn't able to you know, be part of the team that actually was winning. I'm sure he'd like it. He had his breakout season, I think, in 14 when they were good for most of the year and then fell off and then was traded in, what was it, 16 by, I think it was in Stern's first year that he was traded off. You know, so I think that would kind of be ideal. The dream, though, would be somehow to, like, get a true front of the line starter like Kluber or Stroman. I don't understand who you think they, they're going to have to trade. You would, yeah, you would have to, if it's not going to be Hira, and it would probably have to be Hira, so it, it probably makes it unworkable. But if you could construct a trade of if a bunch could, of different guys. If you could trade the guys that you want to trade, not yeah, trade exactly. the guys you don't want to trade, is, and get the guy you want, that'd be ideal. Ryan's going to create guys in his little video game what we do need is like is it's uh, the total meatball situation breen it is this is the you're going to take all of the players that you don't want and you're going to give them to the team and they're going to give you back the player you do want yeah that would be the dream that is the dream okay so that's going to do it for this week uh we got a couple new patrons yeah so huge thanks to tyler melso and then welcome back to alex benazeski which we we're really happy to have you back and we hope you liked the uh the mlb draft podcast that we were able to put together so thanks to tyler thanks to alex anybody else who's interested uh patreon.com slash mke tailgate is where you got to go yeah and again uh sorry to cut over your read there steve no that's fine it's always good to reinforce that 
Um, and again, remember anybody who wants to join the Patreon, all those uh, back episodes are available. So you can, you know, if you subscribe now, you can get the the draft podcast. You can get the May podcast with which Ryan isn't a fan of, right? The May pod. Oh yeah, we were talking about that. Yeah, that was not our our minor league podcast in May. Ryan it was, felt no, like no, it wasn't much to talk about. No, it was excellent. Uh, don't listen to him. Yeah, I was. I thought it was fine. Which is like the biggest compliment that that Steve gives to anything. By yeah, because usually I just listen until you guys mention me, and then I go to the next yeah, podcast. He, he was like, to. he he uh, texted me. He was like, you know what? That was fine. I was like, Steve, thanks. That's like five star. <laughs> that's five star review. For it Steve. is. I I only give about like two and a half for everything. Yeah. So you got like three. Excellent. That was good. a three star podcast. Good. So. The June one was really good though. Well, the other thing we had recently was a mini pod going back and digging up the the Eric Arnett draft. As well as it was Scooter Jeanette, Mike yep. Fires, uh, Chris Davis, Chris Davis were all Ky- in that draft. Caleb Thal- uh, Thielbar, who came up with the Twins, he was also in that that as well. Here in Burgos was in that, uh, but yeah, uh, the big thing was kind of like how it was a really strange draft, missing up at the top and then hitting real big kind of later on. The draft. It was. I've heard so much about that draft. You have no idea. The it amount is of time. Oh, to bear. oh, I know. <laughs> I know how much you've heard about that draft. That's why I went back to it. It is it is Ryan's draft that he holds up that Bruce Side was actually a secret genius that nobody knows about. And then but like still missed five picks. Yeah, up he on missed the top. Yeah. he missed five picks when there was talent available, but yeah. he got, you know, three guys late yeah. in the draft. So yeah. therefore we should all hail the man as a genius. That's right. Just kick dirt on his grave. That's fine. He I'm not do kicking that. dirt on his grave. I'm just being honest about what his accomplishments were there were there were quality players pick late they were not guys who would basically build a contender for a team kind outside, of, outside of maybe chris davis it kind of puts you in a bind though yeah it does absolutely you know you need guys like that but you also need especially with the brewers you need to hit on those elite talent that basically can can sustain an organization mm-hmm. in a competitive period and absolutely. they didn't quite have that so, anyways, go back and check out that mini pod because it was really good and enjoyable. And you can hear about Eric Arnett again, which I think everybody wants to listen about. <laughs> and we'll have some other stuff that people are going to want to listen about coming up, right? Certainly will. Any previews? Uh, looking to get an interview on for Tuesday. Okay. We'll wait and see what that interview is, right? TBD. Okay. Uh, remember, you can join our Patreon by visiting patreon.com slash tailgate. Patrons at the MB and Ball and Glove levels will receive the multi-minor league podcast. As always, follow us on Twitter at tailgate. You can also submit questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or through our Facebook page for Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, Pocket Casts, wherever you want to listen. Any other places you listen? Not, not that I'm aware. No, I'm Pocket Cast, so. Okay. We just aren't on SoundCloud anymore. Yep, that's about it. That's the only one. We stopped We stopped with that one. We're over on Anchor if you want to find where everything's getting posted at. But otherwise, it should distribute everywhere else. And that actually has a list if you want to find out where we're at. Because we're on like TuneIn, BoxCast, CastIn, something like that. It was a bunch of crazy ones. I believe you. <laughs> <laughs> I found the list. I was like, okay, I'll just put them all here. Podbean. The one that Ryan forgot about? The one that we used to host host our old podcast on was Podbean, and he forgot about it? Yeah. Hey, I never had to put it up, so. That's true. I had that, to do all that. Of was, you had the production on that one. So. That's why it's funny when he has to do the minor league pod, and then we hear about like all the issues he has. It's like, oh. I mean, it was six hours worth of post-production, so. Like, well, six hours was, for you. Well, and my computer. <laughs> like, to be fair. 
So anyways, if you want to hear Ryan's work, you can subscribe to Patreon. But if you just want the regular podcast, which usually turns out better, uh, just subscribe here on all those other formats. And you can leave reviews, help people find the podcast. So thanks for listening. Look for us again next week on Milwaukee's Tailgate.